Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by co-host Joe Wolfon. What up? And I got Cash in Vegas. Cash. What's going on? I'm literally currently watching Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook playfully fight for the ball right now. So <laughs> wow. It's pretty cool. What, what other insight you got from us uh, from Vegas at uh, Team um, USA minicamp it's here? A, it's, it's a pretty informal setting, but it's definitely it's cool to see, you know, usually practices um, like during the season aren't open to the media. So it's, it's pretty unique to kind of see this setting where the practice is open to the media and you can see Pop kind of doing his thing. Even just little things that, uh, that you kind of take with you, like just randomly in the middle of practices, Pop will make everyone stop and pick one guy randomly to shoot a couple free throws. And if he misses one, the guy's got to run sprints. Like the whole team has to run sprints. So just like little things like that, that you know you don't usually see during the season because the teams would never open it up to the media. And by the way, out of out of all the guys I've seen put on the spot to take those free throws, the only ones who's missed any was Devin Booker. He missed both, and everyone has to run sprints twice. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Um. Okay, so who are some of the standouts? Like, what what are some of the emerging storylines uh, coming out of Vegas? And we'll ask you about. Um, the the Rosen stuff and also John Wells face in a second, but uh, just, yeah, just on I, the I ground. Say, what you're you talking about? If you're talking about standout stories, the first one yesterday was John Wall uh, team photo, which was hilarious. Can but, you uh, can you no, confirm he, whether he, in person he looks like he has been smoking a carton of cigarettes a day? He, you know what? He definitely doesn't look like he's in peak midseason shape. I'll tell you that. Mm. But also nowhere near as bad as he looked in that photo. Okay, good. Okay, good. Wizards fans, you could be rest assured that your $40 million point guard is, yeah. uh, is okay. But, uh, but yeah, we'll but talk you know more about that. you know he must not be feeling great because the Wizards haven't talked about being the best team in the East yet this summer. So, oh, damn. <laughs> must not be feeling himself this year. Well, John, uh, uh, Dwight Howard has talked about wanting to retire a Wizard, so uh, <laughs> maybe that's why. True. Yeah, yeah they're he's going through it, John Wall. Um, yeah, so what else is going on in Vegas, man? I mean, uh, we saw you write a piece about uh, Tobias Harris and everything like that. He turned down that $80 million extension. Yes, yeah, I talked to Tobias about that. There was the report earlier this week, I think, or last week, that he had turned down a, an $80 million extension. So I talked about that, and he was pretty candid about it. First of all, he confirmed that it was it was actually, yes, uh, an $80 million extension offer. Um, and, uh, and he basically just said that, you know, to an average fan, that kind of sounds absurd, right? Like you hear that a guy got offered $80 million and, and walked away from it uh, to play the this year on what I believe is a 14.5-ish million dollar deal. But yeah, he's pretty adamant that he's betting on himself and, and he thinks he can secure a bigger deal next year. He also made it very clear that he does want to remain a Clipper for a long time. Like he's hoping to re-sign with the Clippers next year. He's just hoping that he kind of proves his worth to be more than $80 million when when they come with him uh, with another offer next summer. Yeah, I mean, it's a risky gambit, right? And I think we've seen, for the most part, uh, like Marcus Smart ended up getting paid. But aside from that, like the guys that turned down extensions last summer didn't really end up getting paid up to that value. Um, and, and especially, you know, looking toward next summer, I feel like for all these guys who are signing one-year deals um, or turning down extensions to, to hit the market when they think they're going to be, you know, more cap space, which there will be next summer, but given that basically half the league is going to be free agents, I wonder if, like, there's going to be enough money to actually go around and if these guys are going to get paid what they think they're going to get paid. Yeah, I think, and I think, like, in Tobias's case especially, and I, I threw that in my story too, you know, that, like, history is littered with kind of these, like, mid-tier guys who end up regretting walking away from money like this because 
the offers that they think are going to come a year from now, whenever the case may be, they usually don't come. Um, and that's the thing, right? Like $20 million a year is, is a great deal for a guy like Tobias Harris, who's like a, you know, a very good player, but he's not an all-star. Mm-hmm. And, and he's basically now betting on, I guess, turning himself into an all-star this year or something close to it. Because like you said, in a, in like a jam packed free agent year, I just don't see who's throwing much more than 80 million at him. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other story you've written so far is uh, about um, Isaiah Thomas and how, you know, his decision to sign the minimum. I mean, we talked about that extensively, but um, what, did, what yeah. did Isaiah say to you about his decision and also, you know, the point guard battle in Houston, or in, uh, in Denver? So he, he, you know, again reiterated that he's not, uh, you know, he's not into coming there trying to steal Jamal Murray's spot or anything like that. He actually said he's looking forward to kind of being like a mentor for him. Uh, and talked about the the knowledge he can kind of skew on onto Jamal next season. But yeah, I think the interesting thing with Isaiah is that he basically said the one main reason, or he, his actual words were the only reason he signed with Denver was because of Mike Malone, um, and that he really respects him from their time together in Sacramento. They only spent one year together in Sacramento, but Malone obviously left an impression on Isaiah. Um, he said he trusts Malone, and that you know, given everything he's been through over the last year. You think of kind of like how everything went down with the Celtics. He just talked about how big trust is for him at this point of his career and as he's trying to rebuild his value. So, yeah, he uh, he picked the Nuggets because of Malone. And I know a lot of people kind of on social media were, were joking about it because they were saying, you know, he picked the Nuggets because they were literally the only team offering him anything. Nah, but come but on, again, that was the minimum, I mean, man. That was, yeah, it was, it was the first week of free agency and it was a minimum deal. So he basically had nothing to lose if he did want to, if he did want to wait it out. And, and, you know, kind of see how the market played out as July went on. It's not like he could have got a worse offer than the one the Nuggets were already offering him, right? They got the veterans minimum. Um, but, yeah, he said the reason that he just jumped on that offer as quickly as he did, instead of waiting it out to see if anyone else would pop up, was because of Mike Malone. Right. Yeah, and it seems like there's some credence to that, too. You know, just the fact that Mike Malone is a good relationship builder um, and somebody who players tend to trust, like DeMarcus Cousins, who has notoriously, you know, not gotten along with, with the majority of his head coaches, um, really trusted Mike Malone and was very upset when the Kings fired him a few years back. Um, yep. So, you know, for, for somebody in Isaiah's position who's really looking at um, a, a pretty important year for him and at a crossroads in his career, uh, it's easy to understand why something like that would be so important for him and, and you know the feeling of needing to be around people that he trusts uh, both in terms of his health uh, and the role that he gets to play um, you know just just feeling comfortable and being able to go out and do his thing and hopefully recoup some of his value this year uh, I totally understand that yeah absolutely man uh, you you hit it right on the head right like he's he's in a very interesting spot this year where you know, if he has like a great year, if he kind of comes and surprises people and has a great year, like he can make, you know, he's not going to make max money, but he can make some serious coin again next season um, or next summer. Sorry. And and yeah, he's, he's basically putting his faith in Mike Malone as the coach who, you know, his actual quote was he said Mike Malone was the first guy in the NBA who loved him for who he was, right. um, which was uh, definitely a deeper quote than I thought I was getting. Uh, when I asked him about the Nuggets, but uh, yeah, he's putting his faith in in Mike Malone and his ability to kind of be himself in Mike Malone's system in Denver to to recoup his value. Yo, speaking of uh, hurt and um, a little bit sad, um, Demar, <laughs> Demar is still. Yeah, I think he's strangely enough become the center focus of uh, Team USA just because 
you know, his situation is ongoing and it's awkward and it involves, um, you know, it involves Greg Popovich. And, you know, Damar has mostly talked about the Raptors and it's sort of that's been what it is. But, I mean, he is joining the Spurs and we're seeing a lot of clips of uh, Popovich working with Damar and stuff. And, you know, just w- what's going on on the ground there between those two? Yeah, there, it's definitely very obvious that, you know, like, Pop, obviously a great uh, relationship guy as well, and you can kind of see him pick his spots with different players through practice, but, you know, no player has had more of those moments with Pop in the last two days than DeMar. There's just so many times throughout the last couple days where Pop will just kind of find a quiet moment and, and head over to DeMar and say something in his ear, or even work with him on different things. Like yesterday, uh, Pop and DeMar were working on what looked kind of like post moves. Um, so just... Every, every few minutes, it seems like Pop's in DeMar's ear saying something, trying to teach him something. So he's definitely making a point to, to, to I think, uh, both make DeMar comfortable and also kind of start the transition into, into being coached by Greg Popovich. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, on the other side of it, though, I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about sort of the DeMar and his sort of his relationship and stuff. Like, is that like a chatter among media that like you know what's the deal there because it does start it's starting to shape up like this Demar versus Messiah Jerry thing versus Kawhi Leonard is going to become like an ongoing uh I don't know drama that's going to sort of encapsulate the entire season almost it's going to just continue dragging out yeah I think I think that's definitely the story even yesterday when when Demar made the comments he made about how he doesn't need to have a relationship with Masai you know that kind of became the quote of the day like everyone here different outlets, different reporters, different beats. Everyone was jumping on that story, regardless of whether they covered, you know, the Raptors or Spurs. It, it became the story, and I do think it's going to be a story, you know, at least for the time being, and at least until the first matchup or two between the two teams, just because I still, like, right now, I think it's just way too fresh. Uh, that wound is too fresh, especially for DeMar, so I don't think we're going to hear the end of it anytime soon. Is there any, like, chatter about, like, the absence of Kawhi? Like, it seems like he's healthy. It seems like he passed a physical in Toronto. So you would think that he would go to this camp, but obviously he's not I, there I don't either. Think, honestly, I, there hasn't been any chatter, and I don't think anyone looks at it strangely. I think it made sense for him to be here. You know, he was trying to prove his worth maybe to potential suitors. Um, but I think now that he the deal's gone down, uh, I, I guess I can kind of see why he's not here and probably starting to work maybe with some Raptors assistants. I'm not sure. But – you know, there's a lot of guys absent. Uh, Anthony Davis is near. LeBron's in Vegas. I believe he was watching his son play uh, in an AAU tournament or something, but he's not actually taking part in the camp. Steph's not here. Um, Kyrie and Isaiah are just kind of sitting on the sidelines, obviously, both rehabbing injuries. But, no, it, I don't think anyone anyone's absence kind of seems strange. It, it's a very informal setting. But I definitely think, you know, if Kawhi was here, then uh, then that would obviously be a story. You got him and Damar in the same gym with Popovich. That would have been fascinating. Speaking of uh, of guys holding grudges or who can't really let things go, um, what what's going on with <laughs> KD right now? Because I, I personally thought, like, he, he had this hit on CJ McCollum's podcast that I actually loved. And I thought, you know, him making the full heel turn and just coming out and being, like, brutally honest and and, and like, having no problem really playing the villain and embracing that role... That's, that, that was a KD that I felt like I could get behind. But then 
you know, CJ makes some comment about his decision being soft, and suddenly it's like defensive KD is back and he's in his feelings again, and nobody can quite tell if he's being earnest or if he's joking. Um, have you had a chance to to like talk to him at all or see how he's interacting with the media or like where where's his head at? Yeah, I was uh, I was in that scrum yesterday when he had that back and forth. I believe it was with uh, Ben Goliver. I'm not 100 percent sure, but yeah, he uh, you know he kind of took offense to the fact that that we considered him being upset about the situation and his whole argument was well why isn't anyone saying game was upset why you know how come or sorry cj was upset how come everyone's making it seem like cj was just joking and kd's the one that's upset but even just that right there perfectly encapsulates kd like he's so he's so obsessed it seems with with what the perception of him is at all times you know and and not just by big wig media members clearly even by like random teenagers on twitter and instagram and and the crazy thing is then he turns around and and tries to tell us that the last thing he does is care about what we think but it's so clearly obvious that he does care and that scrum i was in yesterday like kd had a smile on his face and i think he was trying to play it off like a joke but you could tell it was a little awkward and he was legitimately bothered that you know people saw him as being upset by this i will say uh, there was a really funny moment um after practice yesterday, Russ and KD were under one of the baskets together. They weren't talking or anything. They were both just each individually shooting. And then uh, Kyrie, Kyrie came up to both of them and like yelled really loudly so people could hear something along the lines of like, "Come on, you guys can get along. Come on, you guys can be teammates." Like something like that, uh, just to kind of like push that needle. And uh, KD was not having it. Did not uh, seem amused by it at all. Russ, Russ kind of like laughed it off. Seemed a little annoyed, but laughed it off. But yeah, KD was not having it at all. That's funny because I feel like for most of last season it was kind of the opposite, or like the last couple of years where um, you know Russ seemed like the one who wasn't willing to mend fences at all, whereas KD, you know, seemed to feel like uh, like it was just a media creation, the rift between them, um, and, and like Russ was being the obstinate one. So, yo, I mean, look, listen, how do you how do you think KD can sort of uh, fix his image here because like I think after the look after man like after the the burner accounts came out like it's just it undercuts everything right like because it, it makes it seem like you know he's he's lying at all times because of that burner account but I mean I think if we look at that podcast that he did with um, you know CJ McCollum um, like it was a great appearance like it was one of the few moments where I was like wow Katie's actually you know embracing it kind of in the way that you know like LeBron eventually embraced it. He was like, "Look, you guys can hate me regardless. I'm just gonna play, and I'm not gonna talk about this anymore." And people got over it, right? And whereas, like when KD was starting to say things like, "You know, don't worry about what's going on at the top. You guys play like an eight seed," and he's just casually eating a sandwich and laughing at the man on his own podcast, like that was a good look. Whereas, like, I just think he just has to commit to that, right? Like, cause uh, it, turning around and saying, like, basically undercutting himself, like a couple hours later, is just. It's kind of PKD, really. It's the tur- it's the burner accounts all over again. Well, yeah, that's exactly it, right? Like he he has this kind of uh, I guess you can call it endearing moment on the podcast where he was being a bit of a troll, but it really was in an endearing way, and I think I think a lot of people loved it mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and kind of appreciated seeing that side of him. And it lasted what maybe like fourteen hours till the next day <laughs> he was uh, you know he was already back in his own feelings. Yeah. So yeah, when it comes to when it comes to that kind of like 
social media image of KD and the whole, you know, caring what people think. He just can't seem to stay out of his own way, to be honest. Yeah. It's funny, Will, you mentioned LeBron, too, and kind of how he changed the perception of him or just sort of like leaned into, um, you know, his role as being, I mean, I guess you could say he was a villain at the time, but for, for the most part, like, I think that perception went away pretty quickly. But it's like you remember when uh, the Heat lost that final series against Dallas in 2011. And LeBron basically comes out and says, you know, the people who are hating on me, you know, they still have to wake up tomorrow and go back to their their yeah. lives. And I'm still going to wake up and be LeBron James, basically. And, you know, I feel like he, he actually, like, followed through on that. Um, and he was able to sort of just move forward and put his head down and not worry about all the noise. And that's the thing that KD just seemingly hasn't quite uh, figured out how to do, you know? Like, he... He could go out there and say something like that, but you get the sense that the next day he would still be, you know, arguing with somebody in his mentions about whether he was a snake or not. And I mean, it's interesting. He's he's one of the more interesting superstars I feel like we've had because it just seems like nobody can really get a read on what he wants, what he feels, what he's really about. Um, and so stuff like this, every time something like this happens, it's, it's a little bit more illuminating and... Uh, you know, that said, at the end of the day, we still we still don't really know what the future holds for him and, and what he's going to decide to do. So he's, he's got another year at least with Golden State, but he can opt out and become a free agent next year. And I feel like for the most part, uh, people expect that the perception of him is going to stay the same unless and until he goes to a different team, a different situation and kind of forges uh, a new chapter of his career. Yeah, and I think, you know, everything we talked about was just kind of how, I guess, unique is the right word uh, his personality is when it comes to, you know, it's it's so unpredictable what he cares about and when he cares about it um, that I think that's the exact reason why no one is sure that he's going to stay with Golden State much longer just because, um, you know, we don't know what KD is going to feel like two weeks from now and, you know, how worried he's going to be about his image and legacy and all this other stuff. So, yeah, he could very well, um, 10 months from now, whenever free agency is, 11 months from now, um, just, you know, up and leave because of whatever reason. You know, he's got some new play toy, I guess. Yo, speaking of uh, people worried about their image, let's talk more about John Wall. All right. The internet <laughs> sensation, all right, that uh, John Wall became because I think, first off, in all fairness to John Wall, it's the off season, and also every single player that got photographed for these Team USA pictures that they tweeted out looked bad. Like it was at least like twenty to fifty percent worse than it normally looked. However, in the special case of John Wall, the man got roasted, just like completely roasted. The thing is, though, like John Wall, unlike KD, kind of took it in stride, right? Like it seemed like he was like, yeah, you know, my mom was telling me that it looked like a mugshot or whatever. But like, yeah. you know, like. Was John Wall mad about that, or and like I, I don't know, because it was honestly just a, I wouldn't say it's a top five NBA Twitter moment, but for the off season, that that's pretty damn good, because he no, just he, got roasted. He, uh, it rolled off him no problem. Like he didn't seem bothered by it at all. Right. And to be honest, like any interaction I've ever had with John Wall is kind of the exact opposite of what we were just talking about with KD. Right. John Wall just doesn't seem to be very affected by much of anything, to be honest. He's that dude. Um, you can see it in the way he walks into an arena. You can see it in the way he kind of conducts himself, even just watching the last couple of days in practice. And it's by no means a criticism. It's, just, it's it's actually kind of impressive to see in person. He just, you can tell he kind of marches to the drum of his own, the, the beat of his own drum and doesn't really care what anyone else thinks. 
What's going on with that Team USA photographer, though? Like, has he been run out of town? Does he still have a job? I mean, because, yeah, like... Did, like you, did you see the DeMar photo, too? Like, the yeah, DeMar photo no, even worse than the John Wall photo. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, DeMar was looking, like, very Bebe Nagara-ish in his photo. Oh, my God. DeMar looked like his barber was blind, man. DeMar, <laughs> honestly, the DeMar thing, he looked like he was, like, he was, like, bl like Black Einstein or something. Like, he just, like, it was... The, the hair was awful, man. Listen, guys, it's, uh... It's mini camp for the photographers too, all right? They're just trying to, they're just trying to make the team too. This Fair isn't, uh, this isn't the Olympics or the World Cup yet. So yeah. I'm assuming the photographer who got those uh, pictures will be weeded out by the time a major tournament comes along. Cash, just whatever you do, don't ruin your own image by getting a picture, all right? Just refuse. Just turn <laughs> no, that down. No, 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 like, that that photographer is getting nowhere near this uh, this face and hair, all right? Oh man, but I think honestly, like the John Wall thing was kind of exacerbated by the fact that you know he didn't look great last season he's already got this history of uh, knee injuries and he has this four-year 170 million dollar extension that isn't even going to kick in until the 2019-20 season and you know at the back end of that contract he's got like a 46 million dollar player option on the final year he's got a 15 percent trade kicker so you know the wizards are stuck with him um for the life of that contract and you know so seeing him show up looking kind of out of shape uh, b before that extension even kicks in, I think is kind of worrisome for a lot of Wizards fans. Yeah, and, and I totally get that. And I think we're all in agreement that that deal is going to end up being terrible for the Wizards on the back end. It's just um, when you got a guard who relies so much on his explosiveness and, and speed and doesn't really have a jumper still, um, that that's going to be an ugly contract in a couple of years. Yeah. All right, yo, let's just talk about the players. I mean, g give us a sense of, like, how much are – are there, like, one-on-one -on -one battles being played all the time? Like, what's going on? And if so, like, who has really stood out to you in terms of, I didn't know this guy had this in his game? So the the big thing that I can tell from the two days is there hasn't been a lot of one-on-one -on -one battles, but okay. uh, Pop and his, and his uh, team of coaches definitely seem to be prioritizing defense to the point where all of the drills they're doing – you know they're breaking they're breaking guys up into teams of five. Um, I think it's like blue, white, yellow, and, and red or something. But the way the games work is um, so there's two teams playing at one time, and you win the game by getting a stop. So if blue team stops white team, blue team wins and gets to rest, and then white team now has to go try to score on yellow team on the other end of the court, and it just kind of keeps going, and um, if you get scored on, then you're on offense and you got to go the other way. So if you're not getting stops, like you're getting run down, whereas the team that's getting stops is kind of getting rested and, and obviously, you know, kind of hyping each other up. Uh, so that's kind of my main takeaway from the actual practices themselves. They're definitely prioritizing defense and, and getting guys amped to play defense for this team. And in terms of one guy who stood out and, you know, probably going to laugh because we're talking about defense. And I'm going to tell you that the one guy that stood out to me at least yesterday was James Harden. Oh. There was uh, the team that Harden was on. I believe it was Harden, Middleton, uh, Lillard, um, I believe Tobias Harris, and Miles Turner. And they had they must have had about 9, 10, 11 games in a row where they got stops. Wow. And it was often thanks to Harden playing some really nice post defense. Like He had a couple really nice stops on KD where KD just couldn't move him off the block. He had another one. Uh, I can't remember who was on, but he, like, he was botting up bigger guys down there and that's something i've talked about before too is as much you know as laughable as harden's 
kind of off-ball defense and and even one-on-one defense on the perimeter is he's actually not a bad post defender for a guard he's like very strong uh he like uses his legs really well to kind of get positioning and and he was on full display yesterday because he had some really really nice defensive stands against guys like kd well, as always, James Harden saves his best performances for when it matters most. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just Classic Joe Will there. I mean, come on, man. Look, the, this is, we're talking about Las Vegas, all right? The more strip clubs there are, the more powerful James Harden grows. Um, <laughs> yo, on the other side of the, 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 the coin there, um, is there anybody that's sort of shown up that sort of has concerned you in terms of just like, wow, I didn't realize he would, you know – um, perform like this. I mean, like whatever. Like obviously, like this is just you know a, what? a camp or whatever. I, but I'd say maybe if, if there's one guy, maybe Devin Booker. And again, listen, I'm not I'm not actually putting any stock in this like random two day get together in late July in Vegas. Right. Um, but I think the one thing that I guess kind of surprised me is you watch Devin Booker. You know, in the NBA, I think a lot of people will say that if anything, if there's a fault about his attitude, it's almost that he seems to conduct himself like. Like, he already thinks he's arrived, even though maybe he hasn't. Right. Um, at least that's the way I always saw it. Is like this, he definitely had um, a certain opinion of himself on the court, and, you know, as he showed, he's in the NBA, but that maybe didn't line up with what everyone else thought. And so I was actually interested to see how he was going to interact with some of these big stars here. But, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but he just never really seemed sure of himself yesterday. He had some turnovers in, in a few of the games, and, and I mentioned, you know, Pop kept picking guys out to do that free throw challenge. I think maybe one or two other guys missed one free throw, but Booker missed both. Right. Um, and after he missed the first one, because he was the first guy that had missed one, there was kind of like a, a gasp uh, in the media and uh, among the players, kind of uh, jokingly, but still. And Booker, instead of just kind of, you know, repositioning himself, getting ready to shoot the second free throw, when he got the ball back from Pop, he kind of like tossed up this half-assed, I don't really care about this second free throw right. that mm. like had no effort in it, and it, I think it was even an air ball. So they had to, the, the team had to run two sprints instead of one. But I don't know. It was just a very weird moment, and, and I don't know what was going on. I, you know, again, maybe, who knows? Maybe he's tired. Maybe he's not feeling well. Um, it is late July in Vegas, like I said, and it's like 45 degrees outside, uh, you know, 115 Fahrenheit. But, yeah, in terms of disappointments, I guess if I had to pick one, I would go with Booker. All right, Cash, thank you so much for this report for Vegas. Um, what else can we look forward to, uh, to from, from you and also, you know, what's next for you? Because I know, I know you got some trips coming up. Yeah, so uh, we're going to, you know, meet the practice is just about wrapping up. going to go down and see if I can uh, grab anyone else one-on-one like I did with Isaiah and Tobias yesterday. But, yeah, I also got uh, not sure if I'll be able to do that because got to be on a plane in about two hours to go from Vegas to New York for – another exciting project that the score will be doing so uh yeah stay tuned for that won't give away too many details but uh it's in new york and uh our social media team will be all over it yeah we all wish we had your life cash that's all (laughs) it's glamorous man (laughs) all right thank you so much man yeah thanks guys all right um thanks everyone for listening um as always support the show by rating reviewing subscribing and uh, we'll be back next week with more from pound the rock 